here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, listen, guys. Hey, what's up? This is uh, AD. This is Levi Tiarina, and we have Jared Wilson with us today. Hey, Jared. Hello, hello. Um, guys, we're, we want to preface this, um, this podcast before this episode, before we go into it, I think, um, we just want to talk about everything. We want to expose everything. And in that there are, are things that plague photographers or plague humanity or, uh, things that we don't always want to talk about, but we need to talk about. And I don't think this is necessarily one of those things that people don't want to talk about, but I definitely think it's something that we need to talk about. So we want to preface this conversation by saying um, this will have hope or may have more intense subject matter than uh, than you're used to hearing from us. And we're only doing it in an effort to be real. Uh, there actually are some uh, phot photographic tie ins that we might actually plug in at the end or we might come back to. But if not, we just want you to know this is we want to kind of discuss uh, multicultural adoptions and uh, things in that area. And I think uh, for me, Jared, what uh, I think I want to say this before we start talking is I, I really appreciate when people go out of on a limb and put themselves out there and say, hey, I, I have questions about something or I'm not sure about something or so no matter uh, black, white, or Mexican or brown or so you know. Um, yeah, I I really appreciate it when people say, "Wait, I I need to know more." And I think that's what uh, the the impetus for this conversation is for us to all know more. So thank you for you know putting yourself out there. This I think you you made a post last December, which we'll get into in a second. Yep, you being Jared. Uh, sorry, yep, yeah, Jared. Yep. Yeah, made a post last December uh, asking some questions and. I, I personally was like, man, I love that he asked the question, like he put himself out there. Me as a, as a black man, I will answer. I, even though I don't think I know the answers, I will at least put myself out there. Normally I don't say anything online. I'm just very quiet, and especially when it has to do with uh, subjects of race. But when you asked the question, I was like, man, I love that you honestly were just like, hey, listen what's going on? And so I was like, hmm. I, that's the, that's the only reason I said something, which I don't even know if I said the right thing, but I was just like, all right. And so Jared's a photographer. He has Jared Wilson photography. So check that out. But we, uh, as photographers, this is something that we deal with. And so, uh, do you want to get into it or do you want to maybe introduce it? No, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jared, I, yeah, I think it's we're already here. Let's just dive right in. So if you wouldn't, wouldn't mind starting off with, by reading the Facebook post that you posted last December, and then, yeah, we're going to kind of dive into the conversation that yeah. evokes and kind of go from there. Yeah, or you don't, yeah, yeah. it's up to you. You don't have to read it. You can. I won't read the whole thing because it's kind of long. I'll read maybe some questions, but just to kind of tell the story. Um, first, I want to go back to an older story when we adopted our son from Ethiopia. Um, probably the time in, I mean, he's uh, nine now, and we brought him home when he was six months old. Mm. And probably the time when we felt the most, or in that I have felt the most emotion or um, kind of some real self-awareness of what we were, what we're doing, um, was the moment we, I had him in my arms and I walked onto the plane in Ethiopia to fly back to America. And the, the plane, I, we were one of the last people on. And so everybody's in their seats and they're looking at you as you know, walk down the aisle. 
and predominantly everybody sitting down was Ethiopian, I'm assuming, not white. Uh, and I just feel like what, what I sensed was all their eyes on me. Mm. And there was some major awareness in that moment of what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Here I am, a white guy that came to their country and now is taking an Ethiopian child home with me. Mm. And what, you know, are they happy with me? Are they sad? Are, you know, are they judging me? Are, do they love me? Like what, you know, and that was the first moment and probably still the biggest moment where I was aware of all of that. Now, fast forward to this last December and I probably had the second biggest moment of awareness with the situation with my son. And that was, uh, the Christmas show at his school. And, um, they're all dressed up, different characters, singing Christmas songs. And all of a sudden, my son, he has a microphone. He's kind of singled out, special performance. And he's dressed like Santa Claus. And he's he's an amazingly talented, funny, energetic kid. It's awesome. But it just hit me all of a sudden in a moment, like it never has before in the last nine years, uh, that the awareness that there are no other black kids in his class, and maybe just less than five in the whole school, I would guess. Um, And here my son is, the only black child, and he's dressed like Santa Claus um, performing at this Christmas show. And so I wrote about these two experiences, and then I I wrote in this Facebook post uh, some of the questions that started stirring inside me. And so here's some of the questions. Is it right for me to have my son attend a school where he's the only African-American in his class? Am I doing him a disservice? Or could I actually be helping him? Um, Yeah, I thought about that one too. Is it okay that he's Black Santa? Which AD called me out on and said, uh, did they actually call him Black Santa? (laughs) (laughs) How did I say that? Am I okay to even question that he's Black Santa? Um, I would love to believe that he's simply just super cute, super talented, and he is all of those things. But in a perfect world... The kid who's cute, talented, delivers his or her lines well, they should be Santa, regardless of their ethnicity or gender. And there's a very real chance that that was what was happening. Because I think the school that he goes to is awesome and the teachers are awesome. Um, And if you ever asked me if I wanted my child to be the main character in a play or a Christmas show or whatever, I would say absolutely. Um, So I'm not sure that I want my African-American child to be hidden in the middle, you know, in the back row or whatever, because of his ethnicity. Um, We don't want to single him out being, hey, here's 120 kids and here's the only black one and we're going to let him be Santa. Um, So it's just stirring lots of weird questions in me. Um, Should I feel anything other than pride in my son or should I feel weird about this whole situation? Um, it would, and then I just kind of wrapped it up and said, it'd be awesome to live in a world where we didn't have to wonder these things, but I'm not sure we live in that world. Hmm. So should I wonder these things? Um, and then I just asked Facebook world, what do you think? What do you feel? And, Mm -hmm. and that's when you responded and I really appreciated your response. And and I had a, a lot of response to that post Um, and the thing is, I think in this, even in this conversation we're having now and these conversations we have every day in our world, what I think we need is grace 
with one another mm-hmm. that we're all processing these things, I don't have any answers. I haven't, sure. I'm not sure I've come to a conclusion on any of these questions, right. but it's all, it's all this, it's processing that we have to do. And, and so I'm, might say something that offends somebody here or out there in podcast land. Um, but just that we could have grace with one another as we wrestle with these things. And I think that was part of the biggest response on Facebook was that people just saying, Hey, I appreciate you asking these questions. A lot of people didn't give me any answers or opinions. They said, Hey, but it's good that you're, it's good that you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just jump in real quick and just say to all those that are listening, I think AD mentioned this earlier, but one of the things we really, our goal with this episode is to try to bring healing across the board to people. And we're not going to, we're not going to come up with definitive answers, um, but we're going to talk about stuff. And so the goal is like, how do we just create healing and wellness among, among Yeah, I yeah, think we acknowledge people. that uh, there's a, there is a brokenness or there is a, you know, that is in the world and uh not that we have to always see that or live you know by the rules of what's broken but we want to acknowledge that it's broken and then therefore take care of how we navigate our spaces yeah and so i think that's uh for me it's not that i live my life thinking oh you know i'm gonna get shot by police or something Not, not to take that totally crazy but i don't i don't live by the by the standard of brokenness, I want to, uh, but I need to acknowledge that that is also a thing I need, I need to have that knowledge in order to navigate the world. Right. And so, um, that's where we are. Yeah. And wait, did, so did they call him black Santa? I no. <laughs> no, no, no. And now introducing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, that's yeah. a lot. So, yeah. Uh, which, so which questions should we start with first? Oh boy! Hey, let's just go from the beginning. Like, okay. what was I think you said? Uh, Is it right for me to have my son attend a school where he's the only African American class? One sure. one thing yeah. that pops into my head when I ask that is to be approved for adoption. Maybe you know this as well, Levi. Um, you've got to go through some home studies and different things like mm-hmm. that. And we we took some. We had to get a certain number of hours of training. Mm-hmm. And I remember in some of our training, it was. Um, they were just asking us to become very aware of, hey, every TV show you watch, is it, you know, n- there's not a lot of shows like The Cosby Show. Um, most shows you watch, it's going to be predominantly white people. Mm-hmm. Maybe less and less these days, but, um, and then the schools that you attend, uh, you know, is it all white people? And and now I'm realizing when, when I stop to look, yeah, it is. Um, the church we go to, is there anybody of color there that he's friends with? You know, it's... Um, Start becoming more aware, I guess, of these things when you start paying attention. Yeah. And what, let's maybe talk. What are the fears on either side? What? Well, know, what are the? Well, just to even give it just uh, a, a name for it. So this this concept is called racial mirroring, and mirror, so racial ra- yeah racial mirroring like mirroring like M E E R no M I R R O R like a mirror you look into. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Where basically racial mirroring is that someone can go into a space and have quote unquote mirrors that reflect them, where they also feel like they look like people in their in the in the areas where they the spaces that they occupy, so the concept is called racial mirroring, um, and that's ultimately like pros and, and so I think it comes down to pros and cons of racial mirroring. Or, um, and personally, my personal opinion uh, is that there are no cons to racial mirroring. You're saying there are no pitfalls to having um, 
having your race mirrored mirrored yes or not essentially or? so it essentially comes down to i personally think that that it's incredibly important for for especially kids to be raised with people that look like them in representation and on a constant basis um whether that's in books, TV, friends of the family, people that, you know, all around. Uh, and it's actually really poignantly struck home with me last night. We actually had some, some friends over. They have a daughter. Um, she's adopted and she's, she's black. Um, and we have, you know, our daughter is biracial. She's black and Mexican and she's adopted as well for those that aren't, aren't familiar with that. Um, and so we have a lot of books in our house that just have feature black female or black girl protagonists. Mm. And, our friend's daughter walked around all these books and goes, she looks like me. Oh wait, she has the same haircut I do. And she did that like all these different books again and again and again. And she was immediately picking up that there were things in our house that she identified with yeah. that people look like her. Yeah. And it's, and she's four and it's crazy thing. Like at four years old, I think kids she's are able singing, to yeah. see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how, and it, yeah. Is, uh, are her parents? Her parents are white. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that there's a, that I think even kids at that age are able to, to construct whether or not people around them look like them or don't look like them. Mm-hmm. And for, but you know, maybe it's not negative or positive at that point in time. It's just, they are aware, um, even from a young age, whether or not there is people in the same spaces that they are that look like them. Um, but that's like, I guess one side, that's, that also then comes down to like something like a school. Schools are very different. That's a whole other concept because my wife and I live in Chaffee Park in, in Denver, which actually has, uh, it's a, pretty like largely um latin community and um in central american community and so and but also it's been a neighbor that's been kind of a little bit less taken care of by denver than other neighborhoods like mm-hmm. um and so the schools there aren't aren't as and as great and we have friends that are also in this neighborhood as well too that live here and they attend schools here and the schools here are diverse but the schools don't have the, the, the same ratings as the schools like in cherry creek or whatnot and so I think for a lot of parents, there's this duality. To put my kid in a good school, quote unquote, with mm. good teachers, good academic standing, all these different, you know, all these positive things, or to put them in a school that maybe is less academically rigorous or has less great reputation, um, but the student body looks like my child. Right. And I think that's the that's the real struggle is mm. um, that these schools that it's like it's and again i it's systemic in my mind that the schools where poverty thrives and where grades aren't as strong are typically in like minority neighborhoods um that typically don't get the same care um from the city and therefore that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy like over time they just get worse and worse and the schools that are predominantly majority culture predominantly white um i think typically do get more if there's more wealth there like in cherry creek that you know not just about cherry creek it just i think they have good schools and it's a predominantly white area um that they mm. get more money and therefore they have better programs and all, all these things like that. And so I think it, it forces the hands of parents sometimes to be like, I have to pick one of these things. Either like my kid goes to school with kids that look like them, but they're in a possibly worse school situation or they go to a better school with more better academics, but then nobody looks like them or fewer people look like them. Okay. So the only con to not going to a racially mirrored school is that they will not grow up with, uh, people in power that look like them is that what i'm hearing that's i mean yeah that's akon but i like akon the rapper <laughs> sorry <laughs> that, that sorry <laughs> continue <with laughs> okay that that's a con but i feel like that's a really negative i think i think that, that on the if that's scaled i feel like that's a really heavy tipping point um okay for me so, what yeah, yeah. sorry no. where i feel 
that I've kind of settled, and like I said, and daily it's a process, and so this is not my definitive answer for the rest of my life. But where I am right now is I feel it's more important for my son not to, not to go to a black school so that he can hang out with black kids or black teachers or whatever. But the Ethiopian aspect yeah. is more important mm-hmm. in the sense I want him to know where he comes from culturally and like the, just the Ethiopia has this long history. What does Ethiopia, what's their politics? What's their government? What's their culture? What's their music? You know, I want him to know all of those things. And mm-hmm. there's, there's ways we found for him to learn that. And so I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, I guess, so my take in this conversation, because I don't have children, um, but I'm African, I was born in Nigeria, but I'm also American. I'm legitimately African American. Um, (laughs) But I can only speak to what my parents did in bring when we came over here. And so being Nigerian, obviously they can instill the Nigerian principles in me because they're Nigerian. They're, yeah. You know, but they know that I also, we also moved here. They know that we're foreigners, you know. And so um, when I first went to, okay, we, I lived in Georgia, or I mean in Kentucky. Then we moved to Georgia and we went to school in our district. Um, and so talking about racial mirroring, there was a lot of instances in which I was mirrored in the district because we lived downtown in Savannah. And so we went, we just happened to go to the school that we were put in, which was like in the projects. And it was crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I, it was like very, like I was in the school for like a week and a half and my mom pulled me, pulled me out and was like, nope, you're going to this school, you know, in which, and in, in, I don't think my mom even thought about race. She just thought about my opportunities and yeah. my life and just said, she, I don't think she had never, I don't think she ever said, okay, you can't go there because they're black or because they're white. You can go here because you, you have to go to this school because it will be a better school for your life. Um, and so I think that's where I stand on it, but I know that there, there are way more intricate, mm-hmm. intricate, um, issues at play here. And so I wish, uh, well, I think you, you you alluded to some of that stuff in your reply to my Facebook post. Yeah. And then the other thing you added that really struck me was um, you talked about not, you never realized that uh, your friends were, it's not that you said that you didn't see color, but you said it wasn't until later that you even kind of separated the two. Like they were just, they weren't my white friends. They were just my friends. Right. And that really hit me that, and that's probably where my son's at. I've got 120 other friends. They're not 120 white friends and I'm the only black kid. It's just, but these are my friend friends. side, do his friends see is like, that's my black friend. Well, yeah. And yeah. I, but they, they may, and they probably do, but I don't think, I think if the goal here is healing for all or unification, right. I think that's okay. I think that, Having a black friend or having white friends expresses our similarities or express like lets every know everyone know like oh wait he's black but he's cool or he's white but he's cool and yeah. he's just my friend. I think as he gets older, those lines will be drawn. Right. I think we as society we we unfortunately draw those lines. Right. Um, but I would I I would think I think I said this to you too is that he. He's your son no matter mm. what. If he's your son, then you should treat him as such. But I, I honestly, I said that, and I'm going to reiterate what I said, but I actually think that I might have a... I mean, he's still your son. I don't mm. think of that differently. But 
my mind has sort of changed or grown since then. But I think what I said then was, he's your son, so you should treat him as such. He has, um, you know, like, don't let him be different because he has a different um, skin color. Mm -hmm. Like, send him to the best school because that's what you would do with your son. Mm -hmm. Or send him, you know, and, you know, but there are other issues at play here. And so... Right. Well, I think even, like... Uh, you're right. Like his friends at his age, because your son's nine, right? Yeah. At being nine, may not be like, oh, that's my black friend. They may, but they I think may, it, yeah, but sure. in, in time, as things go on, too, those those concepts typically start evolving into microaggressions, where they start saying things like, "Hey, you're pretty cool for a black kid," or like, "You're <laughs> like you're like the whitest black guy I know." Um, yeah, but what's the what's the difference? What should be done is then say, "Let's take the black kid out of the school and then only have a school of white kids." Mm-hmm. Therefore. There, even though there, it might be a microaggression. Uh, this, that's even. I feel like that's even worse in unifying the world. Is just saying, okay, these guys are all all white, and let's put the black people with the black people so that they can. You know what I mean? Right. I, I think though part of the thing that makes it complicated though is that um, if you're a transracial adoptee in a family where your parents don't have your same race as you, there isn't a lot of places to process those emotions and feelings. If you're like a black family in a white school, that's one thing. But if you're a black child in a, in a white school and you can come back to your family and, and they don't, and your, but your parents don't understand what it's like to be the minority, I think there can be a lack of, one lack of understanding or sometimes a, um, a suppression of those feelings where it's saying like, where it's just, it's not a relatable tendency. Yeah, but I don't think that you should... I don't think that you should also alienate him in your entire life. We're just talking about school. Sure. And well, let me let me actually share a bit of my story too because I think it's it's slightly relevant here. So I'm not adopted, but and my family is is Mexican, um, but we were raised really heavily with the idea of like the very and this was never expressed to us, but it was like and very strong in like the culture is that the white is right. Essentially, if you want to be in the right side of things, you assimilate into white culture, and I actually grew up. Um, really ashamed of my Mexican heritage and my Mexican culture because, like, I would get made fun of it, fo- made fun of uh, for it. Um, I'd be told things like, "Yeah, you know, like you're you're pretty white for a Mexican kid," and uh, and all th- things like that. And it was my race was always a part of who I was to my white friends. And at the time, as a kid, I never said, like, "Oh, those are my white friends." And even now, I don't say, like, "Oh, that's my white friend or my black friend." I'm like, this is just my friend. But looking back now, I, I kind of realized that there was a level of assimilation that my my parents and also I think their parents had to force themselves into where you immediately um, kind of rescind some of your native native heritage and and so I grew up yeah pretty pretty critical of my Mexican heritage and it wasn't even until my 20s that I actually started embracing part of that because for me it was so repressed I really wanted to fight against being Mexican because I that was some if, as a kid the one thing I wanted to be when I was older was white and I was like man I just I hope I, be, I wish I could be white one day and that's and I, you know, I didn't even know those things until I was later later on. But I also didn't have a strong concept of racial mirroring in my home. Kind of what we were talked about was essentially like, yeah, like the side of the family that struggles, like that. They, you know, the, it was like almost nuanced. Like they lean into that because they're the Mexican side of the family. Like they, they have, you know, they're they're poor or they're you know this or that. They have these problems, and it's like it's those Mexicans, those crazy Mexicans, or some of that things like that. Those those verbiages wasn't were, were used. Um, and so I feel like it, it wasn't until my adulthood that I'm actually coming back and trying to figure out how to embrace that um, and how to like not, yeah, not maybe contextualize my own upbringing in terms of whiteness. Because, and that, that's, that's for me with parents that look like me, but also wanted to kind of have the best for me. And so I think for that, they kind of minimized our 
like minority culture. Man, that's tough. Um, I'm sorry that you had to deal with that and that you're dealing with Mm -hmm. it. I think that that's, you know, in total, uh, that's not the path, you know, like I, I'm so glad you're, you've realized that and that you're, you're moving on from it. Um, and you're, you're learning and you're adapting for your child. I think, um, you know, and I, I think, and I don't mean to like dice it up like this, yeah. but I'll go back to you at school. If your kids, if the, your friends saw you as Mexican and they made fun of you for that school, unfortunately is that way. And unfortunately, kids around kids are going to make fun of anything that's different or anything. They're just going to find something and make fun of you. You know, like, that's just very unfortunate. Um, But that's, you know, no matter if you go to an all-white school or if you go to an all-black school, you will be, you know, or whatever, all-Mexican school, you will be made fun of. I understand race is a touchy subject here, but um, I don't know that we'll get away from that by changing schools or, you know, and so... But I'm also, man, I feel like I'm, I'm not really saying everything I want to say, but I, I would just hope that with you, you wouldn't go over. Yeah, like overcompensate. Yeah, that, there's yeah. always pitfalls yeah. on either side right. of, of, of conversations like this. And so overcompensating by saying, no, she has to be around, you know, black people in school, uh, which is totally fine. But I think is, if you were in... I think you have to live your world not by it's broke. You live your life not by the brokenness, but by mm. its 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 beauty. Mm. And so, if you for for honor, if you want her to have the best life, you just pick the best school. Not that you and I and I think that you should have people of power, and you do this, or I said people in power, but people examples for her around your house. Because I think what what you said is the, the difference with me was my home life, was I had people that I can talk to, even though I went to school around white people, I had people, I had my parents, and I could go home and, like, my, my psyche understood that, you know, I, even though I'm different, I, you know, have a home base. And I think as you construct your home base, the strength of her knowing that she is one of you despite color is the biggest thing that you can give her, and then also give her, like, examples of, women or and you know or and people of color that that you respect you know but not like oh this guy this guy's black go hang out with my daughter you know but just, right. you know what i mean right but like yeah it's, it's you try to think on one side you almost have distinct tokenism and yeah on the other side of it you have almost like pulling entirely away from a culture of origin to like try to uh somebody and it's trying mm. to find this point in the middle where mm. race and culture is celebrated um but also not like also the hardships are acknowledged and i think that's i think at the end of the day though it comes down to cel- cultural celebration like how do you mm. treat them or teach them to be proud and to celebrate their culture of origin and i think that's like so you have an ethiopian son it's like okay we got to dive into ethiopian history we got to find out how we can celebrate who you are as a person yeah. uh, not just as a black american but like an ethiopian american who has these rich culture and so that's so as not to like um basically cut them off from their culture yeah i, I wish maybe your levi your household had been a little bit like hey let's celebrate the diversity of who you are the fact that you're mexican mexican american the fact that I'm Nigerian American. Your son's Ethiopian American. Is so beautiful. It rich. It enriches the world as opposed to makes it odd or makes. It, and so, letting letting her know is like, hey, you're special. I I talked to 
uh, and I, I tried to get him on the podcast. I was telling you guys about him. Uh, his name's Yemi, and he has he's Nigerian. He moved here when he was seventeen, and he has a uh, he has a son that he adopted from Ethiopia, mm-hmm. which is very rare. African Americans yeah. don't adopt, right? <laughs> you know, like and Nigerians don't adopt, but he did, and um, and he also has uh, biological. a biological son. But hearing him talk about how and his wife is white. And so hearing him talk about his house yeah. and how he like how he views how special everyone in the house mm. is. And mm-hmm. you know, from from his wife who's white to him who's Nigerian American to his son that's Nigerian or Ethiopian American and his other son who's Nigerian American as well. But yeah. you know but like, white as well too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And his bro- who has a brother that's Ethiopian, Nigerian American. Like mm. I was like, Oh dang yeah. you know? And so I really wish we could have had him on. He just mm-hmm. had a work thing come come up. But he was like, he has to teach each and every person in the house how beautiful they are for who they are. Yeah. And not not necessarily try to, you know, I, I think there, the idea that he is foreign is not lost on him. He's foreign. He's a foreigner. There's no way to take that out. I think for me, that's what I thought before. I think I thought, um, no, he's adopted since he's adopted, he's now your son. He should adopt the practices of the father, you know? And I, I might have said something similar to that, but now I'm kind of like in this world, just because I, I talked to Yemi about it and we had a really great discussion um, about being African-American or African. In, uh, and he's like, no, the foreignness is actually a wonderful thing that should be yeah. celebrated. Or not even the foreignness, the differences, I should say, because she's... a uh, honor is african-american and yeah. so that's where i'm landing on it now i feel like we're you know we've yeah you know we've kind of said any other points on this oh, yeah well i just I, want to say that yeah it's really what you were just describing with your friend is really beautiful i want to say for me personally like the times i think about things like that are very few and far between mm. like what you said earlier he, we brought him in. Now he's my son, and I have got two other kids that are biological, and he's just our—he's our third child, and we're, we're a family. And I, the times I think about his different race or his different culture and all that is very rare, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think about him just more as my son, and he's our crazy son, and he's the troublemaker, but he's <laughs> also the life of the party. The other mm-hmm. four of us are a little more boring, and he's a lot, <laughs> lot more entertaining, and um, and so. That's that's one reason, I guess, why this kind of scene and the impact it had on me last Christmas was struck me so much is because of how rarely I think about such things, yeah. but all of a sudden it hit me in a huge way. And I also do think when he gets older, I'm going to have to be aware of it a little bit more. And, yeah. and that's the thing to try to figure out as a father is when do I just say, hey, he's my son, I don't think about those things, or he's my son and I need to think about those things because I'm his father and because I'm going to need to stick up for him because I'm going to need to teach him certain things about the world. And yeah, I think that's, sorry, Levi, yeah, I think that's the, you just hit it on the head is that you love him as your own, but as you're loving him as your own, teaching him to navigate the spaces in which he will experience in the brokenness of the world is very important. And so, and I, this is what I talked about with Yemi a little bit, because I'm, I was of the thing of the mindset. My mom didn't necessarily teach me to be 
black in America. What I mean by that is she never was like, hey, man, when the cops come, you should probably, you know, be extra cautious or something like that. But and so I was kind of I was of the disposition. It was not that. Listen, I, you know, listeners, I don't want you to think oh, 80s black and he doesn't like think that the uh, black lives. He didn't think black lives matter. I know I <laughs> definitely am on that side, but. I definitely know that there's police brutality, and I've experienced it when I've done nothing. I've definitely experienced it, so that's my truth. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I had to be treated differently in order to, you know, I I had the thought that injustice is injustice, and so even if I'm dressed up and looking proper and walking with my hands up like this, I'll still get shot because of injustice, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's because the problem here yeah. isn't that it's just the problem is that it's incorrect. But and you said this and I, I don't know where I stand on this, really, Jared, but you said that he's our crazy son or he's, you know, and so the 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 black person in me is like, OK, in loving him fully. And this is maybe as a question. Do you treat him differently because the world would treat him differently and loving him is actually showing him how to navigate the world based on who he is right. and, and what you see as a father. Right. Do you think that that's something, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm wondering like, oh dang, like you, when you said, oh, he's our crazy son, I was like, oh. If you knew him, you'd, you'd know what I meant by that. I know, but I, I think I do know what you mean. Yeah. I think I know that he's, he's crazy, but in the instance that, is that something, hmm. See, I, and I'm just going to speak candidly. I, I wonder, like, oh, is that something that needs to be curbed or, like, uh-huh. taken care of yeah. because he's going to experience spaces in which his craziness might be seen differently? Oh, okay, and yeah. That's, the, that's, what, sure. I, right. that's sure. what I'm fearing. Like, if he was white, maybe it'd be totally fine. He's crazy. Right. But, like, oh. Because he's, he's, yeah. he's totally the class clown. Sure. But right now he's in fourth grade. And so, you know, he's been the class clown for years. But at some point, will him being the class clown where the entire class is white kids except for him, will that start making a difference if he's the crazy guy? You know, Mm, is that what you're saying? Yeah, or just like in... Well, I think it's just the the assessment of like, he in theory has a lot more to lose than your other children do. Like he, and again, like just, just to go there, like his literal life could be on the line and in the wrong, if some person got the wrong perception of how his behavior actually is. Yeah. They see some like some black kid on the street goof around with his friends yeah. and everything like, Oh, that kid's like attacking those other kids. That kid's doing something crazy. Like we need to like that, like it could literally be innocent, <clears throat> but those things could evolve into situations and perceptions of other people. Well, here's, yeah. here's a story that jumps out at me along those lines is, um, is the, I have some friends, they're a white family. Uh, they're older. They've fostered, fostered kids for years and years and years. And right now they've got uh, a boy who's a high schooler and he's African-American and they live real, real near us, but right across a really busy street. And their house backs up to that busy street with a fence, a tall wooden fence. And um, they said, you know, at night he'll be walking around with his friends or whatever. And then they'll come home and the shortcut to get home is to just hop the fence on a busy street um, mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. And so she had to tell him, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to hop our fence. And when she told me that story, um, it, 
I've, I haven't had to deal with those things yet because our son's nine mm-hmm. and he's t- really tiny and cute and whatever. But when he's older, a more mature person, then it, it really hit me that I might have to start being more aware of those things and teaching my sure. son these things yeah. because it's the reality of where we live. And yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, go ahead. Uh, so like, well, and this is I think this is gonna get deep because the, the verbiage that has been told to me is heavy. Um, I think you're right. I think it's going to be essential to teach your, your son those things. When we started the process of transracial adoption, we, we dove really deep into the culture behind transracial adoption. So we listened to a lot of adoptee stories, uh, stories of those who, um, essentially people who were adopted, um, and also, you know, first parents, so the, you know, the actual parents that had placed in for adoption, et cetera, we dove into those voices. And, um, I, th- I think it comes down to like understanding the culture of origin, whether that is Ethiopian or simply just being African-American mm-hmm. because those, those are different cultures, but they exist in different spaces. And uh, in this you know, adoption group, a lot of the black voices in the community talked about transracial adoption as another form of black genocide in America by taking these black children and Stripping them of their culture, stripping them of, the, of their of their mm-hmm. um, the, that's like neighborhoods, friendships, you know, pe- cultural mirrors, etc., uh, and essentially eradicating like the black voice in America by putting them into a white context mm-hmm. and essentially like <clears throat> eliminating their blackness. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> do it. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. Bro, bro. I'm not. I, this is not something that I. I don't know. I, I just have to say I, I understand that, and I understand like taking care of the culture. But two, twofold, threefold, no, twofold. I can, I can flim this down. Ooh, that's a tough one for me. Because being black in America is extremely diverse. And so what do they mean by that? By saying, oh, he acts white or he acts black? Believe me, I'm Nigerian and I have felt that pressure from black people. <laughs> and I'm like, no, because I don't act like you doesn't my doesn't nullify my experience as a black man in America. Right. And so that for me is just like, mm-hmm. no, just there's not one way or you know, and maybe listen, I don't understand everything they're saying, but there isn't one way to be black or to be like, oh, I have to like have uh you know, I have to sing black power or I have to, a black person can be a Republican and that can be okay. You know, like not that I, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, what do you, what do you say? AD? But uh, I'm just saying yeah. it is possible. Right. And I have to be okay with that because the black experience can't be distilled down to one sort of thought process Two, dang it. I had a really poignant two that I had, I condensed from three to two. Ah, what was it? What, can you say that again? Black genocide. Oh, dang. Yeah. This one's going to get me drug. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I probably Dude, do you, say you got to say it because this is the Black Eye podcast. I wish you just, could all see yeah. him squirming over here. Yeah, like, I'm just like, <laughs> what I'm wondering is how now do you blame the person who's come to help after the, pers- the, the, the person's living, the, the child has already been put in a situation of extreme lack. This this child would have been in the foster system or, you know, and so the person that's coming to help you then point fingers and say that's black genocide? You've genocided your own person, you know? Am I wrong? Like Bro, I'm ah, I, it's no, that's a okay. Tough one. No, that I what you just said is poignant. And let me, so again, these are the things that we were told by people in this community now, and things uh, that we're, we're processing. Sure, but like, sure. so one thing I would say, it comes down to like the preservation of culture. Like you're 100 percent right. There's not one way to be black, but without in, 
intense intentionality, it's incredibly difficult for white parents to teach a child how to exist inside of a black space. That's two different things. They are different things. Existing and navigating the black space is one thing. Being black is... As diverse as being white it's, or right. Mexican, but so how would you teach? But someone? also, it's like it comes down to saying, like, what I think it's even just like family of origin would teach their child but how to be black inside but, of that context. But his family of origin put him up for adoption. That's what happened. That's the context in which the black community treated this child. Am I, I wrong? I, like, you, yeah, you, no, you're not wrong necessarily. But I think it's more complex than that. I think I think adoption is more complex than that. I think I think it comes down to adoption isn't necessarily about. Um, it's, it's, so with, with with adoption, I think you have to go back even a few steps. With adoption, I feel like the the position of power is always within the adopted family. The family that's taking on that child is the people that have the power because they set some of the tone and the rules behind that. And typically, people that are Placing a child for adoption, um, there's a lot of reasons why that goes in. But I can just tell you from experience of people that I know that have been adopted, um, it's very, very, very rarely that it's not coming from a, a, a place of love. It's coming from a place of lack, a lack of support, a lack of systems, lack of stability, a lack of you know, inse- of, it's like food insecurity. It's but it's it's not so simple as just being like, and that's why I think it's so hard is that. There is, I think, a responsibility on on a parent, regardless of you whether you're raising a white child or black child or whoever you're raising, to teach them their culture. But what's the culture that you're teaching a black child? Would it be different than what I was taught? I, I'm black I, yeah, in America. Yeah. I, so, what are you going to be like? Hey, you need to go to, you need to watch all these black films. I th- so or, or just, what? what me, gonna, yeah, so for for uh, for us raising honor, what we want to teach her and raise her in is the fact that. There's beauty in her culture. There's beauty in being black. There's beauty in being Mexican. Sure. And so for us, it's like we're, we we are not black, so we can't teach her like this is how we were black. But what we can teach her is saying, hey, the like the culture that you know being black in America is one thing that we should celebrate. It's something you should be proud of. It's something that, and I think uh, even she's black in America. That's my problem. She's already black in America. Right. Why why do you have to give her? Uh, I be, because I, I feel know. like for a lot of people, being black in America is isn't a positive experience and there's a lot of threats that come with that. And so for us it's saying we want to we want you to feel pride with that and not feel like there's something you should be ashamed of because you're black. We want you to feel like that's something you need to celebrate because how freaking lucky are you that you get to be black in America because you have this culture that is just, that there's something beautiful things to celebrate within that. I, I I agree with that part. But my fear is that in he in going in that route as as a Mexican American mm-hmm. Or whoever, I'm not attacking you. I'm yeah. just the thought is that I will now say, "Hey, be this. This is a way to be black in America," and that has been something I've always struggled with. If people saying, "Oh, you're not black enough," and that is wrong. Like, yeah, I am. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I have. I've been followed in stores. I have been... The negative parts of being black in America, that narrative is my narrative. I There's no way to take my skin off. And so I'm black in America. And But the culture of being black in America, I, is that's the part where I'm like, yes, celebrate it. But what are you going to teach her that makes her black in America? She, 
She is. Like, right. what, what cultural, like, what are you even thinking that you're going to be like? Because that would be a stereotype. Yeah. That would be like, hey, let me get you some fried chicken and some watermelon. You're like, but if you, like, fried chicken and watermelon, everybody eats that and everyone thinks it's delicious. <laughs> like, and so, you know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> I, 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 think, I think what more about it is just, is putting, for us, it's about making that a point of celebration versus a point of, um, of negativity, and I think, and I think, sure. in majority culture, the motif that's up around it is like negativity. Like, and so, for us, it's saying like that, and the things that we watch, and the art that we have, and the and the books that we have, there's representation where people look like you in every space that that surrounds us. And I, I think I had to I had to check myself too. And I, um, I was looking at like, okay, like photographers that I follow, how many black photographers do I follow? Like, and saying like, how do I like that's on me. If I don't follow black photographers, that means I need to intentionally go out of my way to find black artists that I think are doing incredible work so I can so I can just diversify the thing where like photography isn't just like everyone I follow is just like a white dude. So it needs to be like women, women of color, black photographers, black men, black women. I need to have my, my how I pull inspiration for my life be designed from this a whole pool because it's so easy because the culture set it up this way where the default mode is just like white and white men in particular where that's what what you see um whether it, or white like it's just even like in a book like it's something that's so innocent as like purchasing a book for your child you open the book a little white kid there's nothing wrong with that obviously but how much more powerful is it if that kid opens a book and it's like a couple of black kids playing or someone that looks like that? that that part's okay i don't have an issue with that i would just have an issue if the book was like it was like weird because it, you know, <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. if the book was like we had this conversation we talked about uh, the girl who watched, have you seen A Wrinkle in Time? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, she was yeah. upset yeah. that A Wrinkle in Time was a black family. I was yeah. just upset that it was a terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. Good. But she was like, they weren't black. And I was like, what about their experience in the book made them particularly white? What changed? Mm. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, she was like, but the struggles that they were going through, you know, they weren't black in the book. And I was like, but black people can go through the same struggles. Like, we're the same. Like, what what, what about the book made them white? And she didn't have an answer. Yeah. She was just like, uh, I don't know. I just know that they weren't black. And I was like, but in the movie, were they going through black problems? Which I don't know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is, I, unless it's like police brutality or there are, listen, there are some racial problems. I'm not saying that that's not true. But that's not that doesn't fully encompass the black experience. Right. The black experience is so wide that yeah, they can be the people yeah. in the wrinkle in time. Like but you know, I like, think it just even heightens the point that like the default mode of so many people is that like white, and sorry, that's yeah. and and no, and that's just like the mentality. It's like if you aren't in spaces with diversity, you just expect the default. Like oh yeah, they're obviously white, or this you know the characters in this book are obviously white because that's that's what's expected. And I think even upending that among children of color is teaching them that saying, hey, like, just be, you can exist and be not white, and that's super normal, and there's space for you. But, Hollis, let's take a break. Let's reconvene our thoughts, oh, and yeah. we'll, we'll come back in a few minutes. We'll be back. Gosh, it's probably the longest. Break. It's probably the longest break we've. <laughs> that ever. That was actually a break that we actually took a break. Yeah, 
We actually all went on. No, we all had to just. We all had to take deep breaths and do some meditation. Yeah, I flew around my room. <laughs> um, that's a allusion to, or I was alluding to our dream podcast. But anyway, uh, well, guys, we still want you to get back at us. We want you. To, we want to know what you're talking about, or what you're thinking about, or or what. We don't want to be just like our little echo chamber. What do you think? Um, uh, during the break. Uh, Jared had a couple of really good points, and so uh, if if it's cool, I'll ask you just to reiterate those things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Talk about yeah. Yeah, I've got probably three things that are just kind of bubbling up in my spirit, and wanted to mention first. Um, Ad, you talked about uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but like the the culture, the black culture, creating the need for my son or any. Um, African-American or African son or whatever to, to need to be adopted. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to clarify that I don't think that's the case. I don't, I don't think black culture created that need. I do think poverty created that need and lack of water probably created that need. AIDS created that need. And there's a lot of things that go into creating a culture and, you know, Ethiopia is one and there's others where, where the need for adopting kids is so great. That's why we went to Ethiopia and not uh, America, because there's kids in America that need to be adopted. Mm -hmm. But the need is so great um, that it, we just we wanted to step in and, and do one little thing that we could about it. And by little, mean we, it's a lifetime commitment. But um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because I think for me, I don't. You know, obviously there's something there in the way that I'm thinking about it. And I'm, you know, and so I appreciate you kind of echoing back and being like, hey, that's not truth. And so, I mean, I, I agree. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's not necessarily the, the black culture, but I think in my thought process, it was like, there's, there are negative parts of black culture that, or white culture or any culture that put this child in, in extreme poverty. And so why then do we attack or why then do we attack the person who's coming to help? And that's mm, yeah, that's where my issue was coming from. But sure, I, sure. I hear what you're saying that like the reason that those things exist is not necessarily because of the color of their skin. I, I 100% agree with that. It's you know there's so many other uh, aspects of, um, of that going into that. And so yeah, yeah, I totally. That. yeah. And going back to my story of when I walked onto that airplane, I think. Um, I think one thing I was hearing in those people's stares, and I can say this because there was other conversations that where I actually did hear it spoken, but the was just the hurt or the pain or the sadness that the country was in a situation that created that need, mm -hmm. and so they were they were sad that people needed to come step in and do something about it, and that the country couldn't mm. take care of it themselves and be the healthy country it, it needs to be. Sure. You know, and so I... Um, well, another thing that jumped out at me is, um, Levi, you mentioned, um, at one point you, you're talking about following uh, photographers that are white or female or different races or whatever and wanting needing to gather 
all that was out there that so that we have a balanced view of what the photography landscape looks like or whatever. And in, in my, in my heart, all of a sudden I was like, ah, I might disagree with that because for me, when I'm following photographers on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, out there in the internet, it's, I follow people based on who's the best photographer. And I, so I don't go check their bio to see if they're white or female or whatever. First, I just go, Hey man, that's a good photographer. I'm going to follow him. So I, I can't even tell you if all the people I follow are white or black or Asian or American. I mean, I just follow lots of good photographers. And so that's, um, yeah. So that just struck me as like, I don't know if that's the way it really mm-hmm. works. You know, do you mind if I push back on you yeah, okay. <laughs> like, with, the, with a question? Um, I, I feel like I, I feel like it's, I'm the same way where I follow people that I think are incredibly talented and good. Uh, but do you feel like for your family, there's a, or for your son in particular, there's a responsibility to find people who are good and also black, or do you find, or do you think that that isn't a relevant part of the conversation necessarily? Okay, um, I think I hear you. And what jumps to my mind is uh, is Michael Jackson. Um, so outside of the photography world, but my son has grabbed onto Michael Jackson, and I didn't. Ha- I had nothing to do with that. Um, all of a sudden there was a video on, or maybe it was even a song on the radio. And all of a sudden my son is like, I like Michael Jackson and he wants to dance like Michael Jackson, watch all the YouTube videos he can on Michael Jackson. And like, I'll turn it on for him. But I like, I had, I didn't push him that way at all, but you're right in that it does seem to be important to him. This, this Halloween, he's Black Panther. We did not push that on him. Like to be black in America, you have to love Black Panther. But all of a sudden he just sees an African-American superhero and that's who he wants to be. That's who he identifies with. And it's amazing as a father to step back and watch that happen and not be, not push him in that direction, but just see that it happens naturally and that he wants that. Um, I think I, I like, it's interesting the both, both sides of that. And, uh, you know, I like I like what you're going at because I what I think maybe you're you're you might be saying is that since it's a minority, the black voices uh, might not be heard. You know, Correct, or yeah. they they might be lost in the crowd or might not be uh, celebrated as much, even though they might be just as good. There's an idea in black culture that you have to be almost twice as good as your counterparts in order to be even seen as equal. You know, and I. So on your point, I would think, oh, yeah, but it's actually cool that all you look at is the work and then go off of that. But in your point, sometimes the black uh, artist or whoever might not get the, the platform or the, uh, mm. you know, to actually be seen. And so you have to sometimes search them out because of the way, because of the brokenness of society. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You have a third point too, Jared? Yeah. Our third uh, third thought that you're uh, um, My third thought has nothing to do with anything we've talked about so far. <laughs> <laughs> if you just don't mind, but I like I've been upset the last couple of days because uh, because I see this group that I'm connected with um, offering for the fall just as a kind gesture uh, to do free family photos for anybody who wants to show up and come and do free family photos. And all of a sudden I was like kind of mad at them because it was like, I, mm. um, 
but what about those of us who are trying to actually like make a living and support our kids and our yeah. family and yeah. pay the mortgage and whatever doing this? And then I started thinking, okay, is there, I can't think of any other industry or I was trying to think of examples where we kind of sabotage our own livelihoods the way we do in the photography world. Like, Hey, let's give away this for free. Like musicians be like giving away their music for free. Well, you got to, you know, somehow they got to get paid too. And so I'm thinking, oh, you know, if a photographer, show me a bunch of photographers who give away free stuff constantly. And I'll show you photographers who also work another full-time job. <laughs> and so, yeah. so maybe you can help me process yeah, this. But no, I'm like mad, it, it, kind of mad If you're listening it. to the podcast, we're, we are a photography podcast. <laughs> 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 and so we do like to shed issues or shed light on the issues that, um, that might not normally be seen or talked about. And so we're doing that both in talking about uh, Transracial adoptions. Mm-hmm. I always say multicultural. Yeah, that's fine too. Yeah, um, and then also with this, like this is something that you've seen, mm. um, and you're like, why are photographers giving away free work um, <laughs> so often? Like, because it, it's like something that we do. I think maybe models do it too. Mm-hmm. Like they'll model for free, and they kind of cannibalize their own industry and drive okay. down the, the prices. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, but unfortunately it's done so much in ours that it's, uh, it continues to drive down yeah. the industry. Like, I really deeply wonder if certain people deeply wonder. Okay. I just not deeply, but just wonder on, yeah. a, on a normal level. If people think that doing this is going to help them build an audience that will then pay them in the future. Mm. And I've always been under the, the belief that like the audience that you build is the audience that will come back to you meaning that if the audience that you build is people who want free photos that's the audience that will come back to you they won't be willing to pay you for photos um yeah that's what i've, I've always wondered if that's why people are doing that like thinking like oh well if hmm. people see my work i can get it out there and maybe they'll come back and pay me next time which i don't think actually works uh, have you guys ever done that have you ever given away free anything for as you know i'm trying to when you're starting out or anything like that i've done like discounted like mini sessions for a season like hey you know we're doing mini sessions right. but they're discounted and the time is discounted i don't think i've ever done anything essentially just maybe free. for a friend well, yeah for, okay, so for this, a friend this yeah. last weekend i have a friend who lost his job in the last year and he's got four kids and i know he's driving uber and lyft to try to make ends meet and i was just like hey man i've got a this extra slot you want to jump in for some family photos you know and so i did that for free but i i feel like there's a need there mm-hmm. but when you just open it up to the world and now people that could pay you are now coming to you right. for free i to be critical of myself i i do many sessions also and some people might say that that is a, the wrong thing to do because I guess I do most of my family sessions in the fall when I do these mini sessions because everybody knows, hey, in the fall, he's going to be doing mini sessions so we can get it cheaper. Mm-hmm. And mini sessions like 30 minutes? Is 30 that- minutes, right. discounted price, discounted yeah. prints and whatever. But-, but also I feel like in my mind, it's coming down to volume too. Like are you doing mini sessions on, a, on like five or six on one day? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that to me, it's like it's basically a volume discount. You're able to do yeah. a lot of stuff in one day and therefore they're getting discounts for matching your convenience and matching your schedule. Sure. And so that to me doesn't seem super crazy because it's like, hey, you're basically saying like, I'll give you one day and I'll give you a better rate, but you all have to do it at the same time. That seems like it's just economics. Yeah. How, how is this person offering, how many photos you, or family sessions do you think they're, they're offering for free in that, in your instance that you described? Is it like... Hundreds of families? Yeah, it could be. And I think it's multiple photographers all going to the same spot and then inviting the masses to show up and say, hey, come to this place. We're going to have like 
five, ten, who knows, photographers here, and it's just going to be a mass-free family photo shoot. The institution is paying them. I don't think so, no. Dang, that's really tough. That is crazy. Because they, you're you're right. They are taking, they're taking hundreds of families off the market. Potentially, who want family? Well, the question here's the pushback question. I guess the families that now this is not going to be hundred percent, but of those families that are doing it for free, how many of them would actually convert into paying clients? Right. Like that that's their biggest motivation. Is like right. I want photos that are free. Um, I don't care if they're good. I just want photos that free photos. Will the majority of those clients actually pay for photos or is it right. something that's they're not, it's yeah. like they're not even in your but bracket even if anyways. It's a percentage. It's like, okay, what if like 30%, it's the whole like, sure. Yeah. You know, do we give free shoes over to, you know, Tom's, the shoe company had so much flack because they would give free shoes in areas where they weren't, there weren't shoes. And then in those areas, there was like a cobbler, a shoemaker right. Uh, right. who's now out of business. Right. You know, he's yeah, like, right. well, now, and we're not driving their economy. We're just giving them free shoes instead of right. teaching them to fish. Right. We're just giving them fish. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. I, I would think that, you know, especially in an able-bodied economy, giving, you know, giving, uh, free photography, that's, uh, that's tough, man. Like, I understand the heart behind it. We wanna we wanna support families and do a, and, and bless families out there and mm-hmm. just do a great thing for families. But then the, I'm not sure what they're not thinking about is hey, we're also like hurting the artists. Right. We're hurting the creative people out there who are trying to make a living doing this. I think yeah. it comes down to even perception of photography. Like, do you? Because I think is photography a luxury or is it a necessity? And I would always use it as a luxury. Like getting mm. photos is a luxury. Yeah. But I think when you make it cheaper, it's like saying, well, everyone needs photos. Therefore, we're going to give them away. But for us to be like, you know what? Photos are kind of a luxury that you get to pay for. Mm. If you don't, can't pay for it or don't want to pay for it, you don't get it. Just like I don't have a BMW or a Mercedes. I'd love to get like one of those Mercedes, like the ones that look like the Range Rovers. Like the, like, you mean the Land Rover? Wait. The Mercedes ones, it's like a, I don't know, I have cars. I just know it looks cool. <laughs> it looks like, it looks, it looks like a Land Rover. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Are you talking about a Land Rover? No, 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 I'm not. I'm talking about the Mercedes. The, I like the older Land Rovers. I like, I would like one of those, but they don't make them anymore. The Mercedes ones better match. It doesn't matter. All I say is like, I don't have that car <laughs> mostly because I can't afford it. And so I don't have it. But if someone's like, hey, I'll give it to you for free, I'd be like, okay. Or if it became a new thing that everyone needs one, then I'd be like, stoked about it. Yeah, but if everyone gave everyone cars for free, then we just, the car companies go out of business. Right, exactly. That's why I'm like, That's how a, yeah. is this person right. even doing it? Like, they have to work. Like, they, they, they spend, yeah, maybe they, they they, maybe it's just a side hustle. They're, and they, and I think it's the same thing like destination weddings too. It's like if people are doing destination weddings and you're doing it for free, then mm. are you attacking a local economy? Mm. Because like I have, like I had friends when I was in New Zealand who were like, yeah, like the local photographers here aren't stoked about all these photographers coming in. They counted it was 150 non Kiwi photographers were in New Zealand in a one month span. And a lot of them are just either visiting, traveling, or shooting. And like the local economy, people here are mad at these non-Kiwi wow, yeah. photographers. We, okay, maybe there's, is there a question of quality? Like, are the people doing well, those photos, the family photos, are they as good as a professional who would be hired to make money? Like, there has to be a difference between, obviously, right. the iPhone photo or the guy who's just like, you know, firing off shots and the artist. And there has maybe, you know, like even the New Zealand couple, is there a difference? Have you seen any of those photos, Jared? Like, is there no, like... I, I think what you're saying, to me, it comes back to seeing photography and art as like a commodity or something that a, 
a specific photographer makes and creates. And mm-hmm. so those people cannot give away free Jared Wilson photography portraits. Sure. So am I really, am I, that's what I'm doing to comfort myself is, is say, <laughs> Hey, they can't get what I offer right. uh, no matter free all day long. They mm-hmm. can't get what I give. Um, and so I, I guess it takes some comfort in that. And the, and I, and I recognize how much business am I losing? Probably zero. I mean, those, n- nobody doing that is really coming. Yeah. But big picture, but, but big picture. I think it changes the, it changes the climate. The of the sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. It changes the climate around it of just expectations. Like, yeah. so now if you, it's your mini sessions are 300 bucks. People are like, that's 300 bucks more than I'm used to paying. <laughs> and that kind of comes out. I think that like then affects like other photographers asking, you know, for, and I think, it, I think there can be a race to the bottom at times too, with like photographers wanting certain gigs. So prices just kind of keeps dropping. Like, yeah. Um, when you get the, you see the Facebook <laughs> posts where someone's like, I would like a photographer for eight hours from my wedding. Mm-hmm. And I would like them to have a second photographer. I would like an album included. And I would like it to cost $500. Right. And you're like, <laughs> What? <laughs> like, who have you... But they've been talking to this guy. Who but what's it. crazy is I don't get mad at the bride and groom for wanting such a thing. Sure. I get mad at the 10 photographers that respond and say, here's my website. Right. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, $500? Like, you're literally going to... You're losing gonna, money. You're going to lose you're money. You're losing money, yeah. Give it 500 but whatever. <laughs> right. The, for two for $1,000, you're going to lose money giving them all that stuff. Your time and an album and all that, you will make no money. Like... Ah, it's so rough. That's that's so tough. Um, but the problem is, I've given mad discounts when I gave discounts when I started. I never literally did something for free. But like, I went to my first destination wedding in Mexico. It was like twenty five hundred, you know, like with an album. It was tough. <laughs> I don't think I made. You know, I was like, oh, where's the you know? And then, but those images, I won awards from them. I'm not gonna lie, like I, you know, and I yeah. went there and I busted my tail and I made some photos. I wouldn't do it again, but because I think a friend of hers actually was like, "Hey, will you hire? You know, I want to hire you for whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, it's going to be like three or four times that." You know? She's like, "What? She didn't hire me?" You know, and so yeah, I yeah, I do think that's like a tough thing. Like I said earlier, I think it, like the kind of work that you do creates more of that work. If mm. you shoot things at a discount, I think it brings clients that want the discount and want that price range. I don't know how, I don't even know how it like always works out that way, but I, I, this maybe I, maybe it's my own unique experience, but I feel like if I've done a wedding at a discounted rate, cause I wanted to like, I want to shoot to something and the people that inquire and that love that wedding also only want to pay ballpark, whatever that couple paid. And they didn't, but, they didn't even know what that couple paid, but it's like, oh yeah, my budget's, you know, 3000. It's like, but yeah. I think, I, I think there's a majority mass expectation to pay. Yeah. Like there's a core of what the masses are like I'm between what three and five or two and five right. is like the majority. And then there are your high, you know, your high end photographers and then your luxury photographers. And they, they, if you get into the luxury market, they have luxury friends and they expect to pay a right. luxury price. Yeah, that's fair. You know, but if you're, you know, who's going to see, I'm not going to see pictures from, I mean, I will, but you know what I mean? Like my friend's weddings their friends aren't, you know, on a yacht right now. You know, maybe some of them are. Maybe there's some crossover. But if I come to your website and I see pictures of people on a yacht, I'm going to think you can handle that. Yeah. And that you get paid a premium price to handle that. There's going to be elements in the photography as well that set your price range, mm-hmm. that look luxurious. Being it on a mountaintop, because even though we don't think of that as a 
as an anomaly, uh, it is. Being on a mountain is a crazy thing to everyone else in the world except for <laughs> Colorado. Anyway, <laughs> what? Yeah, I was on a mountain earlier. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. but it's an anomaly. And so it's a very odd, th- so showing it shows a part of luxury. It yeah, shows yeah. A, a destination, a feel. Right. And then showing, you know, like, whatever it is, like a high-end dress. If the person is a stylist person and they understand that that dress costs $10,000 or above, unfortunately, that's just the way it works. They see, so if you have someone who's like, I don't know, like a really nice boho dress that's $2,000 or whatever or $600, I'm not saying that I prefer one or the other. I'm not saying like, oh, like this is better. Mm-hmm. I just think, of course, you're going to beget people who yeah, see that, that as, same thing. yeah. Yeah. No, do you agree with that, Jared? Or you're, I feel like you're like, ah. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah, I, I agree with it. I was just trying to think. What What am I trying to say in my frustration and whatever? And I guess what I'm just like, please, just know that you're valuable and you're worth something. And just, just giving away your stuff for free is not, not helping. It's <laughs> not the way to value yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's not helping you or the industry or yeah, yeah. Or your totally. clients to see value in their own imagery. Yeah, that's oh, what I mean. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they get their picture back and like, oh yeah, those are our free photos. Boom. But if you pay for something, I paid a lot of money for this. Yeah, I will not put a drink on it. Like, yeah, <laughs> people, I'm pointing at my long leather ottoman. <laughs> you know, and I I take a lot of care of it. But yeah. you know, okay, okay, you know, there's a couple of spots, but you know what I'm saying. It right. came that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Y'all, this is the Blacklight Podcast. Jared, tell us where people can find you and your website, Instagram. How can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, jaredwilsonphotography.com. There's just, that's my wedding and uh, engagement. I was going to say romance. That's my, that's my romance. <laughs> Lots of love there. <laughs> uh, Instagram is jaredwphoto. Awesome. awesome. Yep. Jared W. J- can you spell it? Sorry. J-A-R-E-D-W-photo. Yeah. Right on, right awesome. on, guys. Jared, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I know this was like not... There's a lot of heavy stuff. <laughs> right. And thank you, for, thank you for going there with us because I know it's not easy and it's complicated. So thanks for being yeah. present to talk about stuff Absolutely. with us. And just, yeah, man. yeah, just challenge us and also just, yeah, ask hard questions because it's just exciting to hear me – or exciting for me to hear people ask hard questions because I think it's just not always the case. Yeah. Guys, I think we're going to revisit this at some point in the future. Yeah. But don't worry. Not every uh, episode will be heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so.